Welcome to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn, and I'm recording this on Mother's Day, so I want to send a special Mother's Day wish to everyone out there. We're going to do a couple of things today. We're going to continue our discussion about the CIA. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we started a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, the Iran-Contra affair to try to get an understanding of what, what that um, really involved, how the CIA was involved in aiding the Contras. And then we looked at a couple of specific instances of CIA potential involvement with drug trafficking in America and other places. And we looked specifically at Gary Webb and his series of articles uh, back in the 90s and his book, The Dark Alliance, talking about the uh, CIA's involvement in the crack cocaine epidemic in the United States. And then we also talked about Barry Seal, his actions, um, things that happened to him. And we're doing all of that to get to a point where we can really analyze whether or not it makes sense that the CIA was involved in Agent Camarena's abduction, interrogation, and murder. Today, we're going to take it one more step. We had talked for a couple weeks, we're going to do this in four steps. And so today, we're going to really look at what are the real allegations? What are the claims that have been made that support either directly or inferentially the allegations um, and the argument that the CIA was directly involved in Agent Camarena's untimely demise and his fate. So we're going to do that today, but I'm also going to start um, before we get there, and I want to talk for just a couple minutes about the ideas of truth, lies, and eyewitness statements. And I've had a couple of offline discussions with folks in the last few days talking about the idea of what is true, what isn't. And a very good friend at one point said to me, you know, just recognize that people can have different opinions, but the facts don't change. And while I think that's a completely accurate statement, um, you know, one thing that gets hard is separating facts and understanding facts, uh, especially from witnesses. So let's think about it this way. If Two people remembered something, or two people witnessed something, um, an auto accident. And you interview them right afterwards, and one of them says that the speeding car that caused the accident and then fled was black, and one of them says it was gray. Has anybody lied? Probably not. You would assume under those circumstances that everybody is trying to tell the truth. Um, but at that point, you don't know what the truth is, right? 
It could be a gray car, it could be a black car, it could be a silver car. Now put yourself in a situation where those events are 30 years later. And recognize that um, recollections change. Witness uh, confidence can change. And so it's not always as easy to say, stick to the facts. So what we've tried to do here is to say, if there are competing facts or competing versions that can be relied upon, then we want to point out what both of them are. Now, one of the other things I wanted to talk about in this context is the idea of eyewitness statements and the reliability of of witnesses. And I think that there is a long-term perception that um, eyewitness statements are inherently unreliable. And um, and there probably were some studies that that went along with that. I think you probably hear it a lot in you know on TV and stuff. But I'll tell you, I've spent some time looking, and it's amazing. The literature now really suggests that, by and large, um, people's eyewitness memories are, and I'm reading from. Uh, an article right now, um, you know, it says, although certain pockets within the broad field of academic psychology have come to appreciate eyewitness memory is more reliable than once believed, the prevailing by- view by far is that eyewitness memory is unreliable, a blanket assessment that increasingly pervades the legal system. These um, academics end up going on and talking about memory and come to some conclusions, which I think are very important for us and are going to be really important when we start looking at the allegations regarding the CIA and when we look at um, an evaluation of them in the coming weeks. (laughs) So these academics come to the conclusions that Memory from eyewitnesses are highly accurate, very reliable, if if certain conditions are met. Amongst the conditions that need to be met are, A, that the witnesses were not previously exposed to distorting or contaminating information. B, the witnesses' memories are being probed for the first time. C, the witnesses are not tricked into providing the desired information. And D, that the investigator or the questioner is sensitive to an understanding of the witnesses' level of confidence. Okay. Again, we're not going to turn this into a psychology course on memory. But when we start looking at the allegations, which we're going to do in just a moment here, 
keep in mind where they come from, who the witnesses are, and whether, whether those criteria that I just mentioned, not previously exposed to distorting information, being questioned for the first time, not tricked, whether that's, uh, and I'm going to use a different word, but are not coerced, tricked or coerced, somehow encouraged to provide different information, and whether there is any sensitivity to the level of confidence. So, go back to our uh, our original hypothesis or our original scenario. Um, investigator now comes up and for some reason has an absolute belief that the car that caused the accident was black. Go back and interview the two witnesses again. What color was the car? Black. Are you positive that it was black? Yes, I am. Great. Okay. You found a fact. But then let's go over to the other one. What color was the car? Silver. Are you sure it wasn't black? We found a black car that matches the general description. Oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, it might have been black. Very, very simple example. But again, what I'm trying to do is to suggest that witnesses can be manipulated. Witnesses can have less confidence. It'd be very easy for the witness who said the car was silver to say at some point, whether encouraged or otherwise, you know, the sun was shining in my eyes. The sun was glaring off of uh, the car. Looked like it was silver to me, but yeah, it could have been black. Um, you know, again, lots of different ways to look at it. So what we're trying to do here, we've said this from, from the first episode. What we're trying to do here is to provide as many facts as we can, number one. Number two... We're trying to acknowledge when there are facts that may contradict each other or don't necessarily align perfectly. Number three, we're trying to find corroborating evidence. If you have four people who saw the accident and three of the four say that it was a black car, does that increase your confidence in the doc? You know, in in the testimony in the statements that it was black if you're going to have a witness who suddenly remembers 30 years after the fact something happened wouldn't it be good if you had contemporaneous documents that supported that memory that statement um, and then the last thing we're trying to do is to make sure we do not ever perpetuate false na narratives or lies okay so those are the primary factors that we are working on. And take those, keep those in your mind. And for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the specific allegations that have been made regarding the CIA's involvement in the Camarena abduction and murder. And... 
this is going to form the basis for our next episode to say, are those allegations reliable? Are they accurate? And every one of us is probably going to decide that in a different way. All right. What are the real allegations perpetuated out there? First, we want to talk about Lawrence Victor Harrison. So Lawrence Victor Harrison, who went by a variety of other names, was a communications expert. He did a Berkeley graduate. He had worked for uh, the traffickers providing uh, communications. He worked with them in uh, with their radios and, and other things. So at some point, the allegation becomes that he's going to talk to the DEA. And more specifically, he's going to talk to Hector Boreas about what he knows and his involvement with the traffickers and how that relates to the Leanda investigation. Agent Boreas says, before anybody on Leanda could talk to Harrison, that he got word that somebody was being sent from Mexico City to interview Harrison or talk to Harrison first. And that person was Dale Stinson. And Stinson came, talked to Harrison before Harrison talked to anyone on Leenda. And Harrison later says to Boreas, in, in almost these words, Hey, dummy, didn't you know that he, Stinson, worked for the CIA? So the allegation, in short, is Stinson working for the CIA, whether in conjunction with the DEA or otherwise, but he works for the CIA. He goes and talks to Harrison and wants to get information from Harrison before anyone on Leanda talks to him. Harrison also says, allegedly, look, everyone knows that the CIA runs the DFS. And everyone knows that the DFS was involved, or people from the DFS were involved in the abduction of of Agent Camarena, that the DFS was involved in allowing Carol Quintero in particular to flee the country, And there's no way that anyone in the DFS could have been involved in this case to this degree without the CIA knowing about it in advance. Harrison goes on to say, allegedly, um, according to Agent Braze's book, and I'm going to quote exactly, this is Harrison, again, an American, he's a tall gringo. <laughs> you know, he's a white guy, very tall. He sticks out in Mexico. People know him because of that. And he says, quote, 
I know all about Kiki Camarena. I know why they picked him up. I know why they killed him. I know everything about it, and it goes deep. End quote. <laughs> Ask yourself. And we'll talk, again, we're priming the pump for for a real in-depth analysis and drawing conclusions. Ask yourself if this makes sense. That of all the people who've talked about this case, of all the people who were involved, all the facts that took time to come out. Remember, when Camarena was picked up, uh, the you know the Mexican police, the DEA, the FBI were looking, and it took weeks to find out that he was taken to Lope de Vega. Just as an example. But this guy says, I know everything. And it all goes back to the CIA. The other thing that's interesting is there's an allegation that Harrison was at Lope de Vega. Though um, I wasn't able to really determine what time frame is alleged. But keep in mind that Caro Quintero had only recently purchased Lope de Vega. So that puts him in there at an interesting time period, allegedly. And that's one area that we'd like to get a little bit more information on and drill down on a little bit more. Okay. So the the CIA allegations start with, number one, Lawrence Victor Harrison. I know everything. Number two, number two is Felix Rodriguez, and we've talked about him some. Keep in mind, we'll talk about, you know, again, later on we'll get more into the facts, but keep in mind that when first interviewed, when they first do DEA 6 reports from their interrogations with Godoy, nothing about a Cuban is mentioned. Nothing, nothing. Okay, but Agent Boreas, in his book and in the last NARC, relies almost 100% on Godoy's memory where he says, hey, you know what? At some point before Agent Cameron was picked up, this Cuban started hanging around Fonseca's ranch and he was introduced as Max Gomez. We all know that Max Gomez was a pseudonym for and a cover identity for Felix Rodriguez. Godoy goes on to say, again, despite the fact this is in no contemporaneous documents, that this Max Gomez was at the last pre-abduction meeting with Bartlett Diaz. And here's the one that I want you to pay attention to. In his book, Agent Boreas says that Godoy says that he overheard Fonseca say, 
that the money they were putting in boxes for Max Gomez in the amount of $400 million, $400 million in boxes, that those were being used to fund the Contras. And Godoy says he also heard Fonseca say that the Contras are being trained at a secret base owned by Carlo Quintero in Veracruz. Ask yourself if Godoy had heard Max Gomez, Fonseca, and Manuel Bartlett Diaz talking about $400 million in boxes to go to the Contras, how it would be that that didn't show up on any DA6s from the initial interviews with Godoy. Just ask yourself that and keep it in mind. The other thing that's alleged, um, and and Lopez Romero says that he saw um, Felix Rodriguez at the Hyatt Hotel sometime in mid-1984. And then Lira alleges that uh, Felix Rodriguez showed up at Lope de Vega with two Cuban bodyguards, interrogated Camarena for a little bit, and left. And they make it sound like, I think Lyra says that he never really seen people take, or, you know, his bosses kind of be subservient to anyone else, but everybody kind of towed the line or, or you know, let Felix take control, and then he leaves. Again, contemporaneous documents that support this, are there any? I think the answer to that is pretty clear. And we talked about this a little bit uh, a few episodes ago, but just ask yourself how much that makes sense. I'm going to show up uh, at Lope de Vega with two Cuban bodyguards and take control. So that's that's point number two. Point number three that's alleged, and um, Agent Perez makes a big deal about this in several places. Okay, in it, it comes up in the last narc. Definitely comes up in his book, and then there are some other interviews. There's a a documentary about Manuel Buendia's uh, untimely demise and his assassination, where Breas makes these allegations. He says, and I don't think I can overstate this, that. Agent Camarena was the first one to say, instead of going after the drugs, let's follow the money. And so he says that Camarena started working on Operation Padrino, stumbled onto accounts that were uh, somehow connected to the Veracruz ranch, the ranch allegedly owned by Carl Quintero, that the CIA was allegedly using in order to help the Contras and that he was kidnapped. Here's an exact quote. 
Camarena was kidnapped and murdered because he came up with the idea that we needed to chase the money and not the drugs. I, I want people to keep in mind. Hey, think about this. There were other agents in the Guadalajara office. There were DEA agents working in other cities in Mexico. There were DEA agents working in Mexico City. Is it at all plausible? Just from what you already know, is it at all plausible that nobody anywhere else said, follow the money? That somehow he was the only one to do it, the only one to think about it, the only one to say anything about it, and that that's what led to his kidnapping. There's also the allegation in the Buendia documentary that Camarena actually seized assets of Caro Quintero. And I'll ask if you've heard or seen anything about that anywhere else. I think we already know the answer to that. Okay. So the major allegations. Lawrence Victor Harrison, Felix Rodriguez, follow the money. Number four. Werner Lutz was the pilot who flew Carl Quintero out of the country. So he leaves on the jet from the Guadalajara airport, we've talked about the you know the little standoff. I shouldn't call it a little standoff, but the standoff at the Guadalajara airport. He leaves. Uh, that plane probably was owned by Felix Gallardo, which we've also talked about. But there's a pilot who takes him to, to uh, Caborca, where he's able to meet with his family, and then flies to Costa Rica. What do we know about Warner Lutz? Well, apparently he was well-known as a CIA contract pilot. We also know that the jet that was flown, that took Caro, again, out of Guadalajara and eventually to Costa Rica, was a Falcon jet owned by, registered to a Nicaraguan or a Guatemalan company, sorry, not Nicaraguan, Guatemalan company, Setco, that was owned by, allegedly, Juan Ramon Matabayasteros. And, allegedly, was deeply connected to the CIA and their efforts with the Contras. And I think we can say for sure, that Thetco had some direct connections to CIA operatives, CIA activities. Okay. So let's give, you know, we can concede that point for, for these purposes. So we know a CIA contract pilot used a plane that was registered to Setco that was probably Felix Gallardo's and flies him out of the country, flies Caro out of the country. 
The allegation, again, is really simple. Well, if the CIA is flying him out of the country, Carl, then they must have had some involvement, because otherwise, why would they do that? That, of course, presupposes a couple of things. It presupposes that Werner was uh, Werner Lutz, the pilot, was in any way working for or at the direction of the CIA when he was flying them. It also presupposes that anybody who approved it knew kind of you know what had occurred and and the the connections. Um, and it also presupposes that um, the CIA had some direct involvement with. Uh, Mata himself. So, again, one of the connections is to say Felix and Mata were close. Felix Gairo, that is, were, were close. They worked on Setco together. Setco was one of the main ways in which the transportation of the drugs from South America to the United States was undertaken. Setco was also heavily involved and that makes it all kind of wrap up and, and in a neat package. Question whether or not, or let's say it differently. What if, what if Mata was not really involved with Setco? Would that change the analysis? And... Let's just go back and say, if Werner Lutz, a contract pilot for the CIA, and he get a contract pilot, I don't think that means that he punches a time clock Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 every day with the CIA. But if he flew Carl out of the country because Carl paid, does that say anything about the CIA? Maybe it does. Maybe you think it does. And we're going to talk next week in particular about public perception. Because I think that's going to help us answer the question that we're leaning up to. A couple of other things that are interesting with respect to CIA allegations. Agent Berea says that he brought up dozens or hundreds of potential witnesses, that he kept them all separate. And he says that there were numerous informants. Um, And in a separate article in LA Weekly where Godoy and Lopez and Lira and Hector Bereas are interviewed, the reporter says that there were at least 10 witnesses who were Mexican state police officials who witnessed the Camarena interrogation and positively identified photos of CIA operatives. What's interesting is there's no identification of who those people are or when the the identification occurred or how anyone would know that they were CIA operatives other than allegedly seeing a picture of Felix Rodriguez and saying, Oh, yeah, that's him. So, again, you have these vague allegations regarding CIA operatives, people who witnessed it, and we'll go from there. Okay? 
Um, again, just things to keep in mind. Is that something that makes sense? Is that testimony that you would find reliable? Is there any way to verify it? Two other primary allegations regarding the CIA. And one relates to Rancho Veracruz, which is the ranch in the Mexican state of Veracruz that allegedly was used by the CIA and the Contras to transport goods, weaponry, drugs, money, to and from the Contras. It allegedly was owned by Cairo Quintero, and allegedly there were uh, training activities for the Contras on Rancho Veracruz. We'll talk um, in some detail later about Rancho Veracruz, but let's start with the question of, is there anything contemporaneous to really support it. That is, um, other than witness statements, do we have any documents? Do we have any pictures? The answer may be yes. And I'm not saying it's it's not. But we want to get some, um, some closure on that when we make our determination about and when we... Um, you know, really try to bring this all together with respect to the CIA. Uh, And also keep in mind that there's been um, varying statements with respect to Rancho Veracruz. Okay. Where did it, where did it exist? Um, What does it look like? I've seen pictures of a a ranch that, um, you know, some have purported to be this infamous Rancho Veracruz. It certainly don't look like anything that would support uh, training facilities or anything else. Where did it, where was it? Were there other strips in Veracruz? Um, I've been told that some may have confused Rancho Veracruz with a airstrip that was located not far away from Rancho Buffalo. So lots of various questions. And again, in and of itself, the fact, let's assume that it's true. Carol Quintero owned a ranch that was being used by the CIA to train and arm and support the Contras. Without more, does that say anything at all? anything at all about the reasons for and the basis for the kidnapping of Agent Camarena. All right, the last one I want to talk about real quickly. You saw it in the last NARC. Phil Jordan says, hey, I went down to um, to Guadalajara. I was in a car with Agent Camarena. We're talking. I noticed that somebody's following us. I said, who's that? And Agent Camarena says, that's the CIA. They follow us all the time, or something along those lines. Uh, Let's assume for the sake of argument that Mr. Jordan is 
telling the truth, at least as he recalls it. Again, what does that say? Does that inform in any way upon the CIA's ultimate involvement? But then ask yourself a couple of other questions. Is it plausible that he said it was the CIA, that Cameron said it was the CIA, or maybe that he said it was the DFS and Mr. Jordan, like everybody else, seems to conflate everything that the DFS does with the CIA? And ask yourself if Cameron has said that, and if it was in any way troublesome for him, for Mr. Jordan, for anyone else at the time, would there have been some follow-up? Would there have been some notation? Would there have been a DEA-6 when Jordan got back to the States that said, you know, we've got to deal with this because we've got an issue? Wouldn't you expect something like that? And if you don't find anything there's nothing contemporaneous to support it. What does that say either about the veracity of the statement or the importance of it? Okay. We've now gone through three of the four stages. We've talked about Iran-Contra. We've talked about the CIA's involvement in drug trafficking. We now understand exactly what the allegations are with respect to the CIA's involvement in Agent Camarena's kidnapping. Next week, we're going to conclude, and let's put each of these allegations under the microscope. Let's take the totality of the allegations that assert the CIA was involved and really analyze them. Analyze them in a way that you, the listener, every single one of us can make our own determinations. But also keep in mind how easy it is to make an allegation. How easy it could be to convince a witness to say certain things. To convince a witness that the silver car is black. And if you say it's black, not silver, we'll give you money. We'll let you stay in the U.S. We will take you away from the people who may want to do you harm in Mexico. All you have to do is say it's black. It's much, much harder to say, no, that's not right, or there isn't enough proof. And let me just say one last thing. Somebody said to me a few months ago, oh, well, you just don't want the CIA to be involved. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if you think about it, 
if there was definitive proof, if there was a contemporaneous document that clearly showed it, and I was the first one to find it, hell yes, I'd be excited. I'd show it to everybody in the world. I just haven't found that yet. And we're trying to see if things make sense. Again, it's easy to make allegations. It's easy to get witnesses to say different things. It's much harder to analyze them honestly and rigorously. All right. Think about these things. Think about this for the next week. Okay, we do these every Sunday morning, more or less. Think about what of these allegations make sense. If you objectively were trying to find proof, what would you want to see? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Thank you for joining us. And again, happy Mother's Day to everybody out there.